Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to the Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 8718, or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network. And this morning you are with Lyle and Jasmine. Jasmine. How are you this morning? Oh, I'm very well this morning. Are you very well this morning? Yes. Why are you very well this morning? What are you thankful for? I am very thankful for. You know, I'm really thankful for good graphic design. This is an area of particular passion that I have. I really love the visual arts and graphic design. And I was... You're kind of a graphic designer, eh? Yeah, I really enjoy it. Um, And I was... Do you have any formal qualifications in graphic design? No, not any formal qualifications. You're just just really good at it. Yeah. I I could have made the decision to go to university this year um, for that, to study that, but I didn't. I chose to do Bible working instead. Um, so maybe I'll go back to that at some point. Who knows? But I was just thinking about it yesterday and um, perhaps it's petty, but I don't think so because, you know, when you see really good graphic design, it's very inspiring and it can move people to do really, really good, amazing things. So very thankful for it. Thankful for graphic design. I like that. Okay, so, this, so, so this is going to be a bit of a recurring theme, but uh, my wife <laughs> is on a plane that will land in Sydney. Oh, awesome. That's really good news. So this is really good news because, you know, she had to travel overseas um, on compassionate grounds because the father was unwell. Um, He has improved uh, dramatically, which is good news. And uh, one of the dangers, one of the worries that we've had this entire time is whether she'd be able to come back because so many Australians have become stranded overseas. Mm. And if anyone's going to be stranded, then someone with dual citizenship is more likely to be stranded than others. But she is on that plane. So there you go. She is due to arrive in Sydney and then go into her two weeks quarantine. So, yeah, that's good news right there. Shell will be back in the country again, which will be fantastic. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. What is happening in the world of positively different news this morning? Oh, there's Jasmine. some really cool stuff, some really great stories to share. The first of which we'll start with more than one million UK citizens have quit smoking during the coronavirus. Yes, more than a million. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's just in the UK alone. It's really, really exciting. So, wow, that's impressive. I wonder how many that it, there is in other countries that have been really hard hit, like the United States or Spain or Italy, you know, because these are countries that have much higher smoking rates than Australia. Yeah. It's, it's the one thing that hits you when you travel overseas is suddenly you're surrounded by people who are smoking cigarettes and it's just, it just feels weird. Yes, very, very much so. So in this study that they were doing, they found out that this is the lowest um, amount of smokers in the UK since I think 2005. It has the lowest smoking rate. It says that 41% of the people in the UK who stopped smoking cigarettes in 2020 said it was a direct result of the pandemic. Absolutely. And so this is the very smartest thing that you could do. And I would put out a call to all Victorians in particular right now (laughs) and Sydney Siders as well, where we have our hotspots breaking out to follow that same example. If you're a smoker right now, this is the time to give up smoking because mm. if you are a smoker and you catch catch COVID, your chances of survival are drastically reduced. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're much more likely to catch it too as a smoker just because of your decreased lung capacity. I don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And also, well, it's just, um, I guess, one more 
nail in the coffin as far as social distancing goes. One more thing that you've got to be touching and buying from somebody else and Mm -hmm. being handled. The less of that that we have taking place, the better. Yeah, in particular, the campaign that was doing a lot of the research, it's called the Action on Smoking and Health or the ASH campaign. Um, They were kind of theorizing in the um, article that I was reading. They didn't actually give a definite answer, but on on the different reasons why this could be. And of course, like um, there's the... There's not as much social smoking going on, so people don't have that um, temptation. It's also they're actually literally not able to get it because you can't go out to the shops and buy tobacco and cigarettes and things. Um, But yeah, just aside from all the reasons why people can't get to it, it's just a really good time to make that decision and stop smoking. Fantastic. There you go. What else is happening? What else is happening? Oh, this is a really cool one. I'm, um, I'm not an expert in this field, but have you ever wanted to be a fly on the wall at a particular event yes 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 many many of those kind of events that i would love to be the fly on the wall on yes yes so i'm guessing a lot of our listeners you've probably had that experience as well well now you can because um researchers have designed a camera that is small enough to fit on the back of an insect Oh, so they can actually... Okay, so, so rather than being a bug that actually just... Bzzz, like a little drone kind of bug. Yeah. It's an actual... That, that's, that, that looks like an insect. You can put it on an actual insect. Yes. You can actually literally see from a fly's point of view on the wall. So really, really cool stuff. I think they um, were trying to market it as like, see like Ant-Man um, uh, with this little camera on um, that can fit on the back of an insect. Uh, it can... See... What, a drop of uh, superglue? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure. The, the article didn't go into much of how they get it onto the insect. I'm guessing, yeah, they just glue it on or they um, yeah, stick it on somehow. But it's, it's really cool because this particular camera, of course, one of the, the problems they had was getting it so small and, and light that the insect doesn't you know fall over when it's trying to move around. It's actually... Um, it's 250 milligrams, which is one-tenth of the weight of a playing card. Okay. I thought that was That's pretty that was cool. Incredible. That's pretty impressive. Well, very, if you look at an tiny. ant, I mean, an ant can carry 10 times its body weight or 100 times its body weight or something insane. You see ants carrying just enormous loads. So I don't think an ant would struggle with something like this. My question is, mm-hmm. if you're going to use this camera to be a fly on the wall, how do you control where the fly goes? It's like, okay, move across a bit. Yeah, no, that's a good angle. Okay, come back, uh, turn a little bit to the left. How do you communicate with the fly? Yeah. And what do you bribe him with? Yeah, I'm not sure. They actually, they tried it on, because they've created little um, robot insects, but usually all of those rely on uh, a system of vibration to move them around. Yes. And that meant that the camera is just taking all these super blurry videos and photos because all it's getting is the vibration and it wasn't, a super big success, which is why they put it onto live insects to go around and take images that way. I thought another really I, interesting... I can see this. Sorry, I've got to butt in. Yeah, this go, is going to be fascinating. It's just like my mind is, is, is bending right now. It's like, yeah, how do you, how do you bribe the, the fly? Like, I want you to go and do some spying on, you know, this particular meeting right here. So um, I've got a really good... I've got a really great carcass over here and I will tell you where it is if you do the right thing for me. Um, <laughs> I don't see that this is going to be useful for spying. No, no. But definitely useful for research. Imagine putting one of these you know, on an ant's back mm-hmm. and then watching it go down its tunnel and do its thing. 
Exactly. So that's, I think, what the whole idea and purpose why it yes. was designed for that kind of research. Not for spying on the wall, but no. it's just a fun thought to think Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, another big problem they had in designing this was usually the biggest part of a camera or what stops it from being so small is its battery life. Um, and, of course, they can't attach a, a big battery to it, so they had to overcome that problem. And they did that by actually studying... Um, the insects sight themselves. So insects actually use like 20% of their brain um, function at any given time on like visually seeing um, what they're doing. So that's a huge amount of their energy that's taken up by that. So they um, designed the camera in the same way that that an insect's vision actually works, which is to only have a very small portion of it that's high resolution and then the rest of it is kind of a lot lower and it just pans with the use of a robotic arm just to pan to see exactly what it wants to. That's phenomenal. (laughs) (laughs) And they've miniaturized it to go on an ant. That's just incredible. Yeah, very cool stuff. Oh, fantastic. It's always amazing to see what human beings come up with and I'm just sort of looking forward to the next David Attenborough that features, um, if he's still around, but he seems to be immortal, uh, features some footage from one of these uh, tiny cameras. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And we have Luke Ferrugia joining us this morning from Oz Table Talk. Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lance. Great to be back on. And uh, Luke, it's been a little while since we've had you on the show. Quick reminder of Oz Table Talk podcast. Uh, what's it all about? Sure. So Oz Table Talk is four, four friends sitting around a table having the conversations you wish you could have at church. And so we delve a little bit deeper into those topics that you might be a little bit apprehensive to do just generally. And uh, we share that with others. and Hopefully others will take that and have those conversations with their friends. And so you can find that on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you get podcasts. Fantastic. So what are the, some of the subjects that you've been talking about in the last month? So recently, uh, we're, just a few of the topics that we've been having, one of the, the ones that we did was uh, essentialism and faith, because essentialism is something that, you know, there's a book about it, and it's something that we're seeing uh, come up in popular culture at the moment. And so um, we started having a chat about that, and if that was compatible and how it's relevant to our faith. Okay, so we've probably got some listeners who are unaf- unfamiliar with uh, what essentialism is. I think most of us are familiar yes. with what faith is. So can you take a moment to unpack just the concept of essentialism. Sure. So essentialism, uh, you, you can think of it as the, the disciplined art of less. So cutting the things away from your life that don't, uh, that don't get you where you want to go. So basically, it, it's simplifying your life. It, it's, it's similar to minimalism, like having the minimum amount and uh, having your life happy. But essentialism is about finding what the core values are and optimizing for those values. Okay, it's a little bit like less is more kind of uh, yes, kind yeah. of a thing. Mm-hmm. And when you had this discussion with Oz Table Talk, what kind of a relationship did you find between essentialism? Uh, did minimalism come into it as well? And faith is this something that is supported by faith, or is it something that is you know, not supported by faith, or somewhere in between? Yeah. So uh, one of the one of the key thoughts that we that we came to is that there's a, there's a great text in scripture that says whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, and that requires focus, right? That that's that's disciplined focus on whatever it is that you're committing to. And our life at the moment, like in the culture that we live in, is continually about more, adding more things, more things to the schedule, more possessions, more, 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 more to try to achieve 
whatever success or happiness might look like. Whereas what most people find experientially is when they get that is that it actually doesn't make them any happier. And so we actually found that there's a really big link between essentialism and what scripture teaches. And that is if we identify what the most important things are in our life, if we identify if, if, we are, if we're Christians and we say, okay, the most important thing out in our life is connecting with God and living the life of impact that he wants us to have, then we can safely start cutting things out of our life that don't push us toward that goal. Uh, if anything, they lead us away from that goal or at best crowd that goal out of our life. And so in that way, we, we came to the conclusion that essentialism is actually very important if we're practicing that anyway, is very important if we're going to live out, live the abundant life or have that really strong, yeah, enjoyable experience. Okay, this is going to be an interesting uh, discussion. I actually haven't had uh, the opportunity to go through these podcasts yet myself, so definitely yeah. looking forward to these episodes and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and looking at, you know, I guess this movement of essentialism, you know, you see essentialism, you see minimalism, you see the tiny house movement, you see van life. These are all things that are taking place, you know, across a broad spectrum of society. We're not seeing them, you know, restricted to people of faith or otherwise, but... what what I'm hearing is that there are some very positive things that are coming out of, you know, these these kind of movements. And you know what, Lyle, you actually make a really good point there, that these are movements that we're seeing society-wide that aren't that aren't generated by the church, but are actually very compatible with what the Bible teaches. And the interesting thing is that it's people who aren't necessarily reading the Bible that are figuring these things out, but they're truths that have been in the Bible for centuries and millennia, which is really interesting to observe. Yeah, wow. Okay, so what else has been happening on uh, Oz Table Talk? Sure, so we had another conversation uh, we just entitled the conversation "When Leaders Fail," because inevitably, if you're a part of any organisation, you're going to have leaders that, at some point or another, they have a failure, right? That they, they make a poor choice. They, 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 for whatever the reason, fall from grace. Yeah, so and, we had some pretty, uh, some pretty epic examples of, uh, I guess, people that we often look up to. You know, we had those those, those two guys um, with the bulldogs that messed up with those school children, and you know, things like yeah. that. Um, these are people we look up to for a certain level of leadership and they fail epically, but uh, do we also find failures in the church? Yeah, and, you know, I believe we absolutely do. I don't think any church is exempt, and the reason being is that everybody is human, and so wherever there's human, there's that potential for failure. But I think the the real challenge there is that leadership is such a double-edged sword, and this is one of the things we talk about in the episode, that, you know, positive leadership if someone is utilizing their influence well it is a powerful thing and it makes everyone who is in the organization it makes it it improves their life and and it moves the organization towards its goals and all of those things so there's some really positive things about leadership and that's what draws people into leadership because leadership is a responsibility it's a it's a heavy load for the people that want to take that up but um, the reason that people get into it is because of those positive things you know the ability to affect change and influence people but the problem is that if you make a mistake as a leader, well, then your your benefits might be amplified, but the negatives are also amplified if you're in that position. You, know, you, you mentioned a couple of good examples. We had a look at a couple of examples in Scripture as well. We looked at the example of, of Aaron when uh, the, the Israelites have left Egypt and they're on their way to the Promised Land. And on the way is where they uh, Moses goes up onto the mountain, talks to God, receives the Ten Commandments. And in the meantime, Aaron, who is his brother and like one of the key leaders in the scenario, uh, he listens to the people when they ask him to make idols for them to worship. And so we were looking at how 
how can this happen, right? Right after all these miracles have been done, they've seen what God's done, and yet Aaron has this moment of weakness where he fails the people by failing to lead them well and allows the and allows this to happen, this, this pagan idol worship. And uh, so it was really interesting. We were examining a bit of how that works and how that operates and how that affected the children of Israel. It's an interesting story because it's a, a very much a commentary on hum, human nature right there. We have so many mm. people in our world who are atheists today and they would say, well, you know, if God did something supernatural, then I would believe. And, sure. you know, if God wrote it in letters of fire across the sky, then I would believe in him and so forth. And here you've got a situation where Aaron has seen the plagues. He has participated in miracles. He has seen the crossing of the Red Sea. He has heard the voice of God from the top of the mountain. Uh, the visible presence of God is right there on the top of the mountain. And in view of all that, he makes a golden calf. <laughs> yes. When you say it like that, it sounds so ridiculous. But when you apply, like you say, that, that human nature filter and we look at it, we realize just how close any one of us are to making stupid decisions. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Uh, interesting. We, yeah. Interesting discussion. I'll be uh, keen to hear that one. Uh, yeah. what, what else? Uh, we usually do what? Uh, one a week. So four a month, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of couple others that we've done recently. One is... Uh, that uh, is the is the church still relevant after COVID nineteen? Because you know COVID nineteen has disrupted what conventional church looks like, right? And so we thought it would be good for us to take a moment to have that discussion. Okay, so well, just a quick question: How did you guys get on during uh, COVID lockdown? Were you able to uh, get together under the four square meter rule, or were there periods there where you were unable to even function, or did you just yeah, do it by Zoom? Yeah, well, we actually ended up doing it by Zoom. So we uh, we distributed our recording. I mean, because we've got our, our individual mics that are all stored here, because this is where we where we do the recording. So um, the mics, we we got some some hardware to modify them so we could record on our phones. And so we we do the calls via Skype and record, and then we share all of our files together, and when we edit it back together. So nice. Sounds like a yeah. little bit of extra work, but... Um, yeah, looking, yeah, really looking forward to that being over. So. <laughs> so so tell us about church. Is church still relevant or not? Or do we just do yes. uh, Zoom for the rest of our lives? <laughs> well, that's actually one of the, one of the funny things because uh, I've, heard, I've spoken to a number of people, even through my church, there's actually a number of people who have said, you know what, you know, I'm really quite happy with the way things are. I, I actually don't mind this whole Zoom church model. And uh, that sort of started us thinking of, well, what does this really look like? What does it mean? And I think that what you have to what you have to get into your, our heads or what we have to understand if we we're going to answer this question is what church is. Because a lot of people think of church as the building when, you know, really speaking, the church is not the building. The church is the group of people, the church, the body of Christ, right? It's the people the that are coming together. The, the Ecclesia. Yeah. Precisely. So, um Really speaking, the church is still there and still active, regardless of whether we're joining at the building or not. So the real question of is church relevant is, well, church is definitely relevant because we're still believers and believers are still meeting together, even though it's online. So, yes, it's still relevant. So then the question then becomes, you know, what does the what does the church service, what does coming together achieve that we don't have otherwise? And one of the things that, that we came up with, because, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, Lyle, but for me, if, I, if I'm looking for teaching or inspiration, if I'm looking for a sermon or a Bible study or something like that, the first place that I'm typically going to go is probably going to be YouTube or a podcast or something like that, because I can search and sort and find what I'm after. I mean, sermons are great at church, but I can get the same, the same sort of experience I can get 
very easily outside of that, thanks to modern technology. What I can't get outside of that church scenario is all of those micro interactions of fellowship with people and people that are outside my immediate circle of, of friends and close friends. You know, when you come together as church, there's all these serendipitous contacts, serendipitous contacts that you make, these like little micro interactions where you create community with a group of people, a, a church family of believers. And that's really what I don't you know for me anyway. That's really what I've missed about church. It's not so much the direct teaching and those sort of things, while they are wonderful. But really, I think the key is <clears throat> the key is that if we don't have that, we we grow separate from the people that are around us. We may communicate in our in our small smaller groups of our close friends, but we miss out on a lot of the blessings of the broader church community. And you know, you could say as a part of that is intergenerational communication, right? You're less likely to communicate with the people that are from the generations behind or in front of you if you're not physically uh, hanging out with them on a regular basis. I think this is a very valid point because uh, people who are taking the view that like, well, you know, I kind of like uh, online church and, and, I'm, and I'm being quite fed fed spiritually quite well in the online environment are kind of missing the point of church. They see, it, they see church as a place where that they will be uh, spiritually fed rather than a place where evangelism and soul winning takes place. Yes, absolutely. And you know what, that's, that's one of the, the things that I found really interesting, which challenged me, right? Because as somebody who is heavily involved in the church program, that absorbs, you know, I've, I've also got a young family, we also do the podcast, and so I don't have a lot of time on my hands. And so any spare time that I have goes into running the church program, be that teaching or preaching or organizing or whatever. And what, what I realized since COVID is, how little time that I actually had for personal evangelism work, you know, reaching out to the community that's around me. And that's not because I didn't want to. That's just because I, as a leader, I'm so wrapped up in the running of things that it makes it difficult for me to do what I'm actually called to do from Scripture. And so I think we need this is that's this is the flip side of that coin. I think church is, is vital, like we're saying, but we need to figure out a way to make sure that we're balanced, right? So that we're not just focusing on the program because the program itself isn't the isn't the objective. The objective is the Great Commission, right? We're, we have called together as believers. Yes, we're nurturing each other, but we're like you say, we're bringing those people in. There's evangelistic opportunities, and so if we're disassociating those two things, we're missing something. Very quickly, one more subject. Okay, quickly, one more is uh, content to be discontent was an episode that we did uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it's an interesting thing because the reason that we actually did this one was because this is unlike any other episode we have ever done because we literally had a completely different topic. And when we started recording, a topic came up that was that we just kept talking about. We were 15 minutes into the episode and we hadn't got to the original topic. And so we said, you know what, let's just scratch the original topic and keep going down this path because it's something that we should be talking about. And this is basically, we were talking about this idea of contentment versus discontentment. So the Bible calls us, you know, like Paul says, that we should be content whatever the circumstances. You know, we should be okay, we should be able to trust in God. But in the same time, we see that there is discontentment, right? We are told to to strive and there's the all of these well especially Paul uses this kind of language right to that we should be striving for ex- excellence in in all these different ways and uh, in the Christian experience but we, how do we tie those two things together if we're just content then we'll never grow if we're discontent then we're going to be discouraged so you know how do we tie those two ends together mm. fantastic uh, it's been great to have you on here Luke Ferrugia from Oz Table Talk so uh 
We always appreciate the material that you bring. And if you, uh, for our listeners, very quickly, where do they find Oz Table Talk? Okay, you can find us on our website. That's oztabletalk.com.au or you can find us on Instagram or uh, or Facebook or any of the other podcasting apps. Just search Oz Table Talk. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, time for... Question of the day. And our question of the, the day today is, are there earthly angels? Which Ooh. I found a kind of an interesting question. And to give a little bit of background, this particular individual was walking through a shopping center um, and bumped into two ladies that were running a bit of a local charity. charity. Mm-hmm. And basically what it came down to was that any troubled young person who needed a safe place, their door was always open, it was always unlocked, they could walk in, they'd get a bed and food, and they could stay there for as long as they wanted. Wow, that's incredible. They were just like, our house is available. Just come and make yourself at home. So if you're in a bad environment at home, if there are bad things that are going on, if you're in danger, whatever it might be, hey, we've got a house, you're welcome to just rock up. And so this guy was asking, are these guys actual humans or are they angels <laughs> or are they or are they humans who can be classed as angels? Mm, they're certainly running a fantastic ministry. That's incredible. It is. It is. Okay, so um, he wanted to know about earthly angels, so we did a bit of research. Okay, first of all, angels in the Bible, mm-hmm. um, angels in the context of messengers, are heavenly beings. So their origin, their where they come from, is from heaven. And angels predate the creation of this world because yeah. we find that you know when there was war in heaven and Satan was thrown out of heaven, he came down to this world, he comes down as an angel, he is an angel. Um, he sins before all of this happens, and he brings his angels with him when he comes to this world. It's the only yeah. place that they have any kind of uh, area, foothold in the universe. Okay, so they're heavenly beings that predate this earth. That's what angels actually are. Uh, the Bible does say that they can appear as human beings. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 1 and 2, you find that Jesus and two angels turn up Mm-hmm. to talk with Abraham. He just thinks they're two human beings. And in Hebrews 13 and verse 2, the Bible quotes, well, kind of references that when it says that some men have entertained, in other words, fed and provided hospitality, hospitality for angels, having no idea that they are actually angels. Yeah. So that's pretty special. And I'm sure that if we uh, put it out there, and, and we'd love you to text in and tell your angel stories because I know that... Probably half of our listeners have had an experience with an angel. So shoot those through on a text message and we will share them in tomorrow's show. Okay, Uh, then we find that some angels are assigned to this earth. So if you're talking about an earthly angel, this is probably the closest you'd get to an earthly angel. Where the Bible says that, um, uh, talking about children, Jesus talks about their angels. Mm Mm-hmm. So when Jesus says their angels, that's very, very personal. That's an angel that is assigned to them as an individual. You find that in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10. And finally, I want to read one of my favorite passages of the Bible about angels. And this is when uh, Elisha was in Dothan and it was surrounded by Syrians. And the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone. And a great army surrounded uh, the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, master, how shall we do? How shall we survive? And he answered, Fear not, for there are more that are with us than with 
them and Elisha prayed and said open his eyes and the Lord opened his eyes and the young man saw and the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire round about Elisha full of angels all over the place to protect Elisha 